take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Evening, Mr. Finley. Hey, Mr. Finley, how are you? Good, how are you, sir? Yeah, keeping out of trouble so far. Okay, good to know, good to know. Truly on the mend here. We'll talk about that later, maybe. But Tom, I have a couple of questions for you. Well, I have answers. Let's go. Are you tired of unreliable mats that slip and slide? Tired of having no place to rest that big old noggin? <laughs> well, yes. Well, I then guess. head on down to 4810 Ethel Street off Riverside Drive between Fulton and Columbia for Bill Holden's Throw Rug Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> and crash helmet uh, and crash helmet uh, crash helmet imium as yeah, well. Yeah, very good. Uh, welcome to our Frederick March <laughs> the twat <laughs> episode in a good way. Hey, Frederick March. Yeah, you know Frederick March. We dig and I like it, but I like it because I don't know. I honestly didn't know very much about Fred. I think I'm going to put him. I know him from one movie, really. I'm going to rule two. I bet I'm going I'm to front load this. I, I think I we're probably going to agree. Maybe not that. We put him in the same category that we put Betty Davis. Hmm, hmm, hmm. In, in that, I was thinking that, uh, yeah, uh, amazing actor who you don't think of initially, yeah. but then it's so obvious after you watch a, a string of movies how this is like one of the. I think Gene Hackman sort of falls in that area too. Okay, I'll go yeah. with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I feel comfortable with that. We know, yeah, he's not glamorous, but he's what a great, what an actor. Well, yeah. because you and I, I think probably, and some of his best work is his last work. So it's mm-hmm. like you and I think of Inherit one, the Wind. Inherit the Wind, Wind is the one that's like you know right, Matthew. Harris and Brady, right? Right, right. And then the other one, I think, is Seven Days of May. Yeah, Seven Days of May. Yeah. So I think those are the two that we think about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about three Frederick March movies tonight. Down a little bit. Bring my voice down. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Three Frederick uh, March movies tonight. Freddie March. Yeah. Here in uh, April. Uh, very good. Um, (laughs) and um, they are. We're gonna start with. uh, 1937's. 1937's A Star, a Star is Born. A Star Born, yeah. And I'm going to welcome someone onto the podcast um, for just this section of the podcast. Someone uh-huh. who's an expert on this movie in general, I would say. Which is great, because I personally have never seen any iteration of this movie before this one. Oh, you're kidding me. Not, not kidding at all. Okay, so we'll have a lot to talk about, for sure. For sure, for sure. Um, keeping the focus on Frederick March, but 1937, Frederick March. And I want to welcome um, literature professor extraordinaire. A star is born expert, one might say. One might. Uh, Michelle Patton. Welcome, Michelle. Hello, darling. Hello. How are you? <laughs> How's it going, Michelle? It's going good. This well, is really loud. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Let's pull back a little bit. For me, yeah. How am I? How am I? Am I on there? Yeah. Okay. okay. Welcome aboard there, Miss uh, Miss Patton. Ms. Welcome Pat. to the Finley. Welcome to Finley's Front Porch. Oh my gosh, I feel so honored to be on the famous Finleys. So, uh, okay, so here's the deal. I've seen them backwards, which is mm-hmm. to say, okay, there are four versions of A Star, a Star is Born, Born. Right. three of which I've seen. And, you know, it's just one of those instances where I think of us, like, as failed classic movie experts because I've made it this far without, like you, having seen any of The Star is Born. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle not, not and even I, the one with Barbara Streisand, for God's sake. Michelle sakes. and I started... Last year with the Lady Gaga star is born, which well, really sort of disqualifies me in, as, a, as a classic film expert in, in a way, right? Yeah, well, you, start with that you one. did see Crazy Rich Asians, so. 
Then we've forgiven that one, so we, this one's okay. Then we saw um, last night. Michelle and I watched the so that was that's the nineteen uh, that's the two thousand eighteen version. Then last night, Michelle and I saw the nineteen seventy six version mm-hmm. with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson, which which is weird. I've never seen it because I do enjoy both of those actors. Well, let's talk about particularly. I love Chris Christopherson and in, in, in any movies in really. Well, there's no reason that even convoy that we can't talk about 1937's A Star Is Born without talking about this other two. Mm-hmm. But then we watched the 1937 version with Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. Right. Okay. So I have things to say. Go about ahead. This. Start. I bet you do. Start. <laughs> Well, I actually have seen the 1976 version several times Mm -hmm. and had the album when I was a kid. When I was in fifth grade, I was super dorky. I know that might be hard to believe now, Mm -hmm. but I was super dorky in the fifth grade, and I got bullied, and, like, I was a weirdo. and, And then in the sixth grade, I was still a dork. Yes. Until the end of sixth grade. And... Then I entered the sixth grade talent show, and I did with my friend Michelle Gaynor. We did a, a choreographed dance to Queen Bee by Miss Esther Hoffman from A Star Is Born, 1976. Esther Hoffman played by? Barb Streisand. Ba- Babs. We call yeah. them Babs around here. Okay. When I was a kid, I adored mm. Babs. Like, yeah. funny girl, the way we were. I used to, like... Have the hairbrush and like. Well, you've been like, on one other episode of the Finley's on film, and it was the Barbara. Yeah. <laughs> Barbara well, episode. because when I was right. a kid, just yeah. to like sum it up, that was the only. Those were the only movies I saw where a woman was central to the story. Like it was her story. Mm-hmm. She was not just an accessory to a man's story. So I thought she, I just was very drawn to that. Like she was over the top and kind of embarrassing. But she was like, she, it was about her and her life. Mm -hmm. So I was very attached to the 1976 version. We went and saw the Lady Gaga version, and I was just like, man, these kids today don't know (laughs) movies. Wait, so you didn't like the Lady Gaga version? I mean, I think what happens is that the kids that go see Bohemian Rhapsody or they go see Lady Gaga and A Star is Born, they have no reference for something better. And so they're like, this is great. And you're like, but you've never really listened to Freddie Mercury. You don't really know Queen. But in the case of, the, I would say that's true with the case of Bohemian Rhapsody. But in the case of A Star is Born, the one you are referencing is two movies, you know what I mean, removed well, from yeah. the actual and, original. And I did have my, uh, I had like a little, I had one of those moments last night mm-hmm. where you watch a film and you get kind of, put in your place about something. Oh, about the 37 version. Well, because we were watching the 1937 version. Uh-huh. Two things were happening in my head. I was wait, thinking... Wait, wait, I'm so- I, I don't mean to interrupt your flow, but but can we just sort of dispense, like talk about everything we need to about the 76 version so that w- you can focus. You can lead off the conversation about the 37 Well, version. I was very attached to it, and we watched it together last night, yeah. and I had that moment where you love something so much, yeah. and someone you love is watching it with you for the first time, yeah. and you're like on pins and needles. Hoping like they, they would like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and then you like make little like comments like, this part's a little over the top. Uh, I'm sorry uh, about that. Oh, but, you're excusing yeah. me. Yeah. We've all been there. Yeah, and then absolutely. I, but then like my favorite parts would come on, yeah. and I was so like, 
like emotional about yeah. it. And then at one point you looked over and you were like, oh my God, you were <laughs> such a dork. And I got really self-conscious. Like I yeah. couldn't just get into it after that because you were watching me. And I wanted to just be like, yes, oh my God, this is so sad. Or mm-hmm. I, I want to well, be her. And, but now she's being embarrassing. And so. But it, but it was, I thought it was, uh, the 76 version was a good movie. It's, it's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. It's it's um, the screenplay is is by Joan Didion, right? And her yes. husband, which I, mm-hmm. which I was, pretty amazing. Yeah, adaptation, I, I guess. The adaptation, right? Well, well, they they are the first ones to. So the the two original Starsborns are based about on Hollywood, whereas the '76 version, the Lady Gaga version, are both based on music. Music. Well, you know, it's funny. I was okay. So again, my knowledge of this is not is not very extensive, but I did do a little bit of research on it, and it's really it is really interesting how the star, a star is born is tends to or you know when it's at its best, it's most it's reflective of the time period. So when you come to 1976, the star system is gone in Hollywood. It doesn't exist right. anymore. It makes sense. Rock and roll. Moving it into music. Actually, it was really, really smart, really great idea. And Barbara Streisand. And Barbara Streisand, of she course. She wanted to be a great actress, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but she was had this amazing voice, and that's what everyone knows her for. Right. Well, so so that took over. But Chris Christopherson, surprisingly, yeah. is his singing is terrible, but yeah. his acting is so heartfelt. He's like the you, better actor. Yeah. In that one. And, and I think Barbara Streisand. Which is surprising because she's a pretty darn good actor. She but can he, be a good actor. She goes, she goes too far, though. She's a no. little over the top on this one at times, mm. but I'll tell you what she does do. And no spoiler here because all the stars are borns are the same. And that's that um, Barbara Streisand does heartbreak really uh, well. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, going back to like, you know, um, the way we were and like. Right. Oh Hubble! You know, oh, you, your you, girl's lovely Hubble yeah, when she moves the hair out of his eyes. Oh, her. it's just so <laughs> too much. So, but I would say that the problem, the thing that the 1976 version suffers from, and the one with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper will suffer from, is how um, corny it is as a result of not the actors or the writing or anything else, but the time period. That they're they're sh- they're like you know driving around in like these horrible looking you know nineteen seventy six Corvettes well, and and all this you sort mean of horrible. What's that? Wonderful. What are you talking about? Well, the gas guzzlers. Sports cars in the seventies took a dive. Uh, mm. Oh, sports cars. Yeah, they kind of. Yeah, yeah it's, but the that. point is, like, a lot of that stuff is just like, oh, it's just, it's kind of not their fault. Like Tony Orlando <laughs> makes an appearance, and it's like, yeah, of course that would make one hundred percent sense in nineteen seventy six. Freddie Fender was booked. I would have can't. I would have called him too. I would. I would have cast him too. But it's like you know, looking at Tony Orlando, it's sort of like, ah, uh, you know. So yeah. it sort of falls victim to things that are not her fault, not just the time and place having passed. Yeah, yeah. whereas whereas um, I, I don't think that it has a ch- had a chance to happen with the Lady Gaga version, but also the 1937 version is so clearly classic that you don't even put it in your head. Like you're like, well, well of course, me... like you go in with the mindset that it's a very very old movie. Let me speaking well, of also... the 1937. Well, yeah, so version. I wanted I, that was my so... I wanted to toss it over to you on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so we watched the 1976, and I had it firmly in my mind two things. One of them firmly. The Barbara Streisand one will forever be my favorite. And sure. I haven't even seen the other two, the Judy Garland and the 1937, but I just bias. know. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. And also, I don't like old movies. The music, I, the movies beyond like a certain point. We're experiencing technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Let me it. finish. So I went into it with those two thoughts, and then I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Like, I think... 
I like old movies, but they have to be really old, like 1937 old. And then it works for me, but it's like a hipster's dream. Like just the, the scenery and everything about it is very, Mm -hmm. but also you have that moment where you're like, Oh yeah. The people in 1937 had sex and they were funny and they were real Mm -hmm. human beings and they, and she's hilarious. Janet Gaynor is fucking, she's awesome. Yeah. I definitely want to do an episode on her. Apparently most of her career was in silent films. Really? And she had like a, a Oh, well no wonder. Cause she, she, she does such great physical work. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so she had this great sort of string in the Mm thirties and then did a few in the fifties. She retired for about 10 years and then retired again and then did one episode of the love boat in the eighties. But yeah, I mean, she is. I mean, she yeah. reminds me. I was telling Michelle of of the lead actress from Knights of Cabria. Of Cabria, they both have this a tremendous physicality and this yeah. moon and eyes very and, emoting faces. But like, she is hilarious. Yeah. There's that movie. scene where he's like, "I got you a job as a, as a waitress," and she's like, "A waitress? I want to be an actress." And he's like, "Well, you can meet, you know." Uh, big directors there mm-hmm. and get your break and she's like okay so every time she every time she goes to a group with a plate of hors d'oeuvres she's like hors d'oeuvres all like yeah. crazy yeah. and she does yeah, like different accents for impressions yeah well yeah. she's funny and what's funny is and, and because and you may not be as familiar with this Michelle if you're not if you haven't seen other Frederick March movies I've never seen him be funny and he was no, charming and yeah, funny he as was well. charming and funny he but was, he was actually kind of eclipsed by her a little bit oh absolutely oh yeah that's kind of thing. and that's hard that's tricky because yeah. he's really good he's really good but, so but she, she was, did yeah she starred it starts that by movie the way, is essentially the woman's movie it's yeah. in yeah. all versions well, every the aspect. female lead yeah is the main story, mm-hmm. which is what makes it so, it's for 1937, Wait, like, incredibly Isn't it a bit of a take on, like, the, like, Theodore Dreiser's Sister Carrie or other movies about, like, the, the so-called fallen woman, and, and, and normally those stories are a woman falls morally while she ascends the ladder of success, and her lover, you know, unfairly yeah. treated by her falls, and that's, it, what they did differently is, this the woman in these movies ascend, but not through some sort of lack of character. Right, it's the lack they of character of the guy. But the guy in each version just is very like, I love you. I think you're great. I mm-hmm. want you to yeah. be a star. Uh, honest. And and yet it means the end of his. Yeah. Well, because they won't the admit to themselves until it actually happens that it does matter. Whether it's Frederick March. Or Chris Christopherson or Bradley Cooper. It's like, I'm glad to have you have the career, honey. And then as soon as he stops getting calls, it's like, I'm actually not glad at all. Right. Yeah. It's a threatening of, like, the man but in, And I think in all versions, yeah, but, it's like the woman is saying, like, I'm fully human. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to, mm-hmm. I have dreams. I have things I want to do. Yeah. Like, I am a full but it, it, actor it, on the human it stage. starts before that because the great thing about the 37 version is it starts with the matriarch. That grandmother is oh, yeah, the grandmother. ass. <laughs> and there's this grandmother Joseph who's just has like, a crush fuck on all the these other people in your family. Yeah. You do what you need to do. I and, I, had and, to, I had to bear wrestle a number of Indians to get and here. And then she, there's, a, there's a foreshadowing <laughs> that I didn't, I didn't really notice. Yeah, I buried your grandfather while heading west and, yeah. then, and then moved on the next day. And it's like that's what she's going to ask right. Janet Gaynor to do in the yeah. end, essentially, yeah. right? Mm. But, but I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, one thing I noticed, though, it's very hard from, like, the 21st century not to look at film with a racial right. or gender, yeah, of course. you know, kind of lens. And the 1937 version, 
that was when they were first doing color film, yep. I take it. Mm-hmm. And this had to be one of the first color films. Those well, people, mainstream, because remember we did Anime Wong in like the 20s or something. Yeah, but, but yeah, but color mainstream, color, yeah. mainstream. Yeah, Those right. people were so white, they were yeah. blue. Like they were so... <laughs> They had been bleached, those people. Like, they were very, very, like, pasty white. Well, there were so many people of color in the film that they wanted to make a distinction, I would say. Right. There was one person of color. There was one black gentleman. (laughs) It was represented badly. I mean, he just looked (laughs) stupid. Like, they they chose. Mm. But in the 1976 version, you have Alice Hoffman, Esther Hoffman, sorry, who is Jewy. She's got a fro. No, she's. She's all Not the very, Jewy, but the Jewy? she's all very like um, free to be you and me in her like sexuality, uh, mm-hmm. and in the thirty-seven version, they're funny and sexual and all those things, but it's very like, hey, are you Russian? Like that's the most exotic you could possibly be. Are you Russian? Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. like, no, Blodgett's not Russian. And everybody's just super white. Well, that except for the agent, like the not the uh, the press agent. That's the one the, the crazy, I do most without. crazily Jewish person. In that whole, he was he was terrible. bananas. Terrible, oh, and, and I don't think he served any real function. The only function he well, served is at the end when he was of the mean. Genuine heart, heart. I didn't it notice it didn't Jewish, matter so. to me. It was already there. Oh yeah, no, I, I I got I got that I got that hint right just the way he was talking. All right, so so. Oh, what about the Oreos in the 1976 version? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Barbara Streisand is the lead singer, yes. and she has two black women, <laughs> one on each side, and, and they the call Oreos. themselves uh, the Oreos. Oh, like, how far we've come. That would not fly in 2019. Or, or it would fly like a mofo, hard to say. <laughs> well, so then I think we... it's maybe it's time to sort of just jump in and talk about what, what this film's about, right? So I the... want to talk a little bit more about some of the other elements to it, because it had a hell of a cast. Which I think one? well, Andy 37? Devine. First off, I don't know if I've ever seen him do anything that wasn't a western. Yeah, this her is best the guy friend with the, with the harmonica voice. Yeah, mm. yeah. He was, oh, yeah, I he liked was, him. I loved him. He would back, like but, smack her on the bar. Mm-hmm. But almost <laughs> always he was in a western, so it was really interesting to see him being young, and in a kind of in a really a different context than I've ever seen him before. That was really cool. And I also like the fact that this movie had a really interesting meta quality to it. The way that, oh, the way it, man. it opened and closed. It was a movie about movies. The opening, and, the closing, and, well and the, the screen tests yeah. were presented as real screen tests exactly yeah. yeah no it was really was it was Way Hollywood, ahead of its time. Hollywood sort of really sort of jumping on its own case a little bit well and, also and I, but it's a celebration of it was, well it was also a celebration of being all in it was a celebration if but you're all in mm-hmm. the magic will happen even if you're like one in 100,000 odds but I mean I, think, I thought that was an interesting scene for 1937 for them to be boldly like let me take you to the, I, I mean I don't know why that secretary would do that but she took Janet Gaynor to that yeah to that room and like you hear that that's a hundred thousand people and it's like it's that hundred thousand dreams sh- dying that must have been shocking to <laughs> yeah. young people in the audience and also it was very anti-Hollywood because Hollywood had built had had deliberately built that image of yeah. come here this is the yeah. train factory we there's a lot of there's a lot of in really in joking like the when they're putting makeup on her and they're like let's give her the Crawford oh, the smear <laughs> and they give her a Joan Crawford like she's all mm-hmm. with her red the funniest lipstick. scenes in the movie <laughs> yeah yeah, awesome. I mean, there are, there are things that, that sort of retain a, a 1937-ish about it. And it's like, yeah, the Flophouse hotel manager wants to kick her out of if she's not paying rent, but she's just got too much gosh darn heart. Right, And right, there are right. things like and that. And he's not heart sure. of gold himself. But, but, I mean, ultimately, and, and even the way that, that Frederick March's alcoholism is, is sort of handled in this sort of beboppy way. Right. Yeah. But having said that, I thought it was... 
Oh, that was a hell of a movie. It was a hell of a movie. Yeah. It was a great movie. It turns out I that was, was a... I, and I was prepared to come into this not liking it. Uh, as, as was I. Yeah. Oh, great. Another another one. Like I like that. You know, it was watching this. It was also kind of. Like, it felt like the anti All About Eve. It felt like the mm. opposite of All About Eve in a sense. It was. It had that similar thing, but it was a positive. It was a positive take on it. But I thought it was a what tremendous positive movie. take. Yeah. Oh, what the All fuck about are you Eve? Ah, oh, come on. No, I mean this movie's not a positive take. I mean it is, but it isn't. It is from her point of view. Yeah. No, the guy not she really. Out of her with her soul intact. The guy walks into the sea. Well, still. And in all of the versions, <laughs> yeah. in all of the versions, the woman who becomes a star realizes how empty stardom is like that's she's paying like the price the legacy mm-hmm. that her guy gives her is like now you're just as lonely as i was like well but here's the here's the interesting additional thing is that yeah well no sorry i think that's kind of what you're saying i was going to say like she has we have yet to learn whether where she's going to sink how unhappy yeah. she's going to be right. because now she could be completely totally 100 percent independent of his legacy, of him being attached to her, she can forge on, and she might fail, or she might succeed and be as miserable as he was. Right. Which is kind of where you're Or, at. you know, maybe she'll hit a sinkhole later on, and her career will go away, naturally, on its own course. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. You just have her at that moment of, like, bittersweet, I guess, bittersweet triumph. Ooh, that's a good way to put it, I think. Yeah. Yeah? All right. Well, yeah. I, I, think, I think we're all giving it a clear... Thumb. Mucho thumbs up. Mucho up-o. thumbs up. Oh mm, my yeah, god, that's good. Star is born. I, I'm sorry, folks. I don't. I refuse. Uh, I refuse it. to partake. All right, she... Michelle. Thank you so much for dropping by. Oh, I think I'm us... being dismissed. Oh no, do you have? I'm sorry. Do you have more <laughs> you have on commentary Starsborn? on Frederick March? No, that's the only thing I've ever seen him in. Is that? No, I mean anything else on the film. I didn't mean to usher um... you out uh, prematurely. I've never no. premature. <laughs> 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 Always uh, long mm. <laughs> And that's good premature. <laughs> <laughs> that's good premature. Um, that's what no, she said. I think I think any film that risks being over the top is worth watching. Yeah. And sometimes they succeed. Yeah. And sometimes they fail. And I think A yep. Star Is Born, the 1976 version, is as much as I love it. And I cherish it for all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that she goes too far in that film. Yeah. And she does that in a lot of her films. It's just the thing she this does. This is the most I've seen her do that. Though. She does it in Yentl. Yent, the whole concept yeah. for Yentl is Michelle, over the can top. you hear me? <laughs> Papa, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, it's um, most of her films. But she's also delightful yeah. and funny yeah. and kind of looks like Harpo you Marx. <laughs> yeah. He pulls out little cups of coffee while you're here. Yeah, no, she's really, she's really amazing because yeah. she was so ahead of her time and she was like, demanding that things match her vision, whatever that was, even when it made her, gave her a bad reputation, made her ridiculous. Um, So I think she's really admirable. And I think when she dies, I'm going to be kind of sad about it. Like, I think that's going to bum me out. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm also, I kind of feel, I want to learn more about Janet Gaynor because I feel that she, I mean, I look back and I haven't seen those early silent films, but she was, the headliner, top billing on all of them. And so it's like, I, I mean, she's not, it's not like a direct comparison to Barbara Streisand, but it's like, here's a woman who early on in the film industry mm-hmm. um, had all this sort of stuff and then just kind of disappeared at will. 
And so I, I don't know if that's one of those like Garbo situations where she just sort of became a, a recluse or like what it was. But like it's interesting to see her at the height of her powers here, and she moved that film. I think we're, we all agree that Frederick March is good, but she moved that she movie. She and the grandma. Oh, is she and the grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, her too. Let's find out what happened to her. No, yeah. no, that's okay. Bur- probably someone buried her. Yeah, Move she, west. She, she, <laughs> Sorry. Somebody hitched her to an auction and took her west. I don't know. That might be it. All right. So we are giving it three thumbs up. Three thumbs and up. Michelle, we want to thank you for joining us for the first segment here. Of well, the thank film. you, fellas, for having me. Oh, yeah. Always a joy. pleasure. Oh, always a pleasure, <laughs> Michelle. Always. I'm going to go watch The Real Housewives now. <laughs> okay. Good God. Oh, wasn't that a pleasure, Tommy? It was. It was a delight, sir. Good to have Michelle Patton in. Mm-hmm. Talking about A Star is Born from 1937. And 76. There was a bit of that, sure. Yeah, it's all right. I agree. All right. I guess we could have done that. No. The whole Star is Born. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, didn't occur to us. God damn it. Son of a fish bit. So let's move forward. It's not the official thing. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck that is. I don't know. It's a good, good phrase. Though. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, let's move forward to 1946. Yes, 1946. <gasps> yeah. The best years of our lives. Okay, the best years of our lives. Good gravy. Okay. I've heard so much about this. You hadn't seen this one either. I had not seen this. I really didn't have much of an education in Frederick March. Like, again, my real, mm. you you basically stated the two movies I know him from best, right? right? right. So, um, but this was uh, the best years of our life. I wanted to not like it. Our I lives. I was waiting it for it to be, yeah, I was waiting for it to be um. just some kind of a crazy corn fest. And it turned out to be like one of those rare, honest appraisals relative to the generation, of course. Yeah. Of war and its and its aftermath. It was it was actually so good that it cut right through the fact that it was cornball at times. Yeah, definitely cornball <laughs> times. But I mean, the like, guy's ah, Homer. One of the guys' name was Homer for fuck's sake, right? Homer. Right. So, but no, you're oh. absolutely right. It, it did. It like it managed to be like a good conversation about people dealing with the aftermath of war. It was fucking tremendous. Yeah. And not, I, I mean, was blown away. Yeah, I mean, it didn't. It's not. Uh, we're not talking about like. Um, it's the hurt locker of 1946. Uh, I mean, in a way, I mean, it's more the social stuff. I would say they're not. Yeah, they're yeah, not yeah. really. They they will deal uh, some of those films post World War II with like the the vague notion of like shell shock. Right. So like one of one of the characters here has mm-hmm. these like reoccurring dreams. Like get him, get him, throw yeah. the bomb. You know. But yeah, it's like, is, and, and I love his wife's <laughs> response to that. Knock it off. Get over it, kid. You've had enough time. Yeah, the war is over for <laughs> six months now. So we're so but but the premise of the film. This is a William Wyler film. Yeah. Um, Frederick March, mm-hmm. uh, Dana Andrews, who you remember Andrews, from right. Laura. Yep, yep. And a newcomer to the scene, old Hook his... Hands himself. <laughs> <laughs> he really played Hooky. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah, the third character. I forget the actor's I name. I can't remember the actor's name. He did play the character. The character was named Homer. Yeah. His name was Homer. And uh, he was actually a disabled. Uh, he was actually a disabled actor. He yep. had uh, hooks for hands. Relative. Well, so let me just address what I think. Like, here's the first cornball thing that, like, you recognize in this film, mm-hmm. but it, it's good enough to get over. Is there is no task. That a nimble fingered man would do that Homer doesn't insist on doing for like, himself and you. For everyone's edification to begin. Well, and that's kind of. He makes balloon animals, he does Van Halen <laughs> solos, it gets nuts. Oh, he fingers a badger, it's weird. No, he <laughs> really pushes it. No, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like it's. It, <laughs> fingers it, a badger. Man, that poor, that lucky badger. Anyways, um, yeah. it, 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 it's one of those. I think it's a forgivable fault. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive it for this because oh, yeah. that's kind of one of the things that. One of the things that. One of the 
sub uh, subplots, I guess, of one of the messages of the thing is that well, veterans are just people coming back from this horrible experience. They want to be human beings, and this guy nope. had like no hands, and literally yeah. with an audience of people from 1946, I'm pretty sure you had to show them they they, they were like human. Even, you know, yeah. like that much. Like, Even I there, I, I give it credit because um, I thought it was going to go, I hadn't seen it in a while, I thought it was going to go down this road where he comes back home with his hook hands mm -hmm. and people were like, kind of the version of like what people do with race, like, I don't care if you're black, brown, polka dot or yellow, like yeah. over yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually they didn't handle it that way either. Like mm -hmm. people were a little aghast and people were, didn't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> make eye contact and with couldn't the look the, the right way. And, but, it, yeah. but at the same time, that was human. Yeah. Like that actually gave him yes. his humanity that didn't treat him like a child. Right. Right. No, like I said, it's the frank nature of the way yeah. they, tr they treated everything yeah. in this thing, as far as I can tell. I mean, the, the, Frederick March's character was kind of the comedic, the comedy relief. He was the guy who came back and kind of stepped back into his old role. And He's like half was, a thin man. Yeah, but yeah, really. <laughs> sort was, of, right? Yeah, yeah. There was yeah, definitely a, a little bit of that going on there. But he, I, mean, I mean, he's but but just just to clarify, like he's he doesn't actually have comic relief. It's more like he's got the household. He's the he's the relief, one of the third you know. story that's not not tragic necessarily. Right, right. And so he has to keep grounding everyone and like, hey, this is what like middle class America could be like. A little mm -hmm. joking with the wife over orange juice. Right, right, right. Yeah, I have, yeah. I have a lovely really has a lovely relationship with his wife with his children. Played by Myrna Loy, by the way. Myrna Loy. Oh, speaking of. Speaking of the thin man. Well, yeah. Oh, right. But also, like, I think she's uh, in this short list of, of actors whose great acting ability is to make you go, like, I don't even remember what she did in that movie. <laughs> but I mean, I mean yeah. that seriously. Like, she just is so understated and yet clearly like a, a casual, professional. There's a casualness to her. But she's acting. really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is one amazing. of those, like, the cliche coming. Cliche coming, but like less is more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Type of thing. I'll go with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, here in the, in the Thin Man, I don't have a lot of knowledge of her either, but it, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's a noticeable factor that she's got a casualness to the way she acts. Yeah, for that, sure. That is just that is just kind of delightful. Yeah. So so right. Good. So we got Frederick March as as a sort of like I. This is actually the straightest I've ever seen him in a movie. Yes, because yeah. even Star is Born, he's like he's got the classic like dramatic alcoholic, and and then of course the later films, he's just Ooh. a fucking rubber face nutball. Yes, rubber uh, face. Nut. I, well, I don't know. That's rubber netted face ball. I don't know what they fun. call it a Juilliard Tom. Rubber but. netted. Rubber netted. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, but but yeah. So and then you and then Dana Andrews, who's the the guy who's coming back, um, who's married a woman. He only. Met before he went off to war, right, right, which this happened. Was, this was like a, a USO this was a common occurrence at the time. Yeah, like some, you got you got married because you didn't know you didn't know any, if he was going to come back from the war. Yeah, and he went away from the war. He was working as a soda jerk, you know, well, working at a soda fountain. Yeah, and he goes to war. And he's a fucking war hero. He comes back. He's a, he's a man, and well, now he's what, trying to fit back in, and he's got this wife that doesn't fit. Well, it's yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of what makes it great is that it's it's not just Homer has this thing to come right. back to. Mm -hmm. The other guy does too, and you're right. March has less of a thing. Yeah. For sure. So he grounds us, but like, yeah, this guy has a scary moment. Like, do I even know this woman? Right. You know, now that all the excitement is over, mm -hmm. what do I do with this? Right. Right. There's no anticipation now. I'm not only is it not only is it is he going to come back from the war? I'm fucking back now. So we know what now we have yeah. to actually make eye contact and live a life together. You know what's and interesting? It doesn't work. There, there's a, a film. I think you've seen it too. Uh, the Roaring Twenties. It's from 1939 with Jimmy Cagney. Oh, Jimmy Cagney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with World War One. Is yes. they come back and, mm -hmm. and the difference is this. Think about the difference between that movie and this movie. And I like the Roaring Twenties. Oh yeah. The Roaring Twenties tried to offer some emotional gambling. 
Yeah. But very little. Yeah, very little, yeah. It, it was all offset it was, by It was by, all about like American, making it big in America yeah, again, right? It was, all, it was all, all offset by making it by American pluck. So the, here, here it is like seven years later. It's post-World War II immediately. And it's like, how, how do we make a film that actually is going to talk about what people have to talk about when they right, get back. Right. Yeah. And I know in, in an American culture, we have this image of World War II and its aftermath being like this amazing, wonderful period in, in American history where everyone sure. was happy and had a fucking, you know, had a bouquet Baby of dogs or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. A book. But, <laughs> I don't know. But, but, but no, that's not true. People had to come back and readjust. It was oh, this whole yeah. shift in our society that had very little in the way of chronicling, but this movie is a tremendous chronicle of it and it happened right in 1946. They weren't fucking around with this. It's funny because I started writing an essay um, recently, sorry to get this out of the movie to personal stuff, but I started writing an essay recently um, based on those letters um, from our grandfather uh-huh, uh-huh. to our grandmother, and I was I was in the middle of researching those letters when I saw this movie again, and there's it seemed like this brilliant sort of parallel because like mm-hmm. I'm reading letters from a man I never met because yeah. he died before I was born, mm-hmm. but I know what happens to him later on in life yeah. and I see what he thinks might happen to him when he's younger yeah. and they are sometimes very far apart right and it really I thought it was an interesting sort of that this movie was able to capture that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I mean that was that I, I, what a brave movie yeah totally. I gotta say both of these movies are brave I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go for a certain credit I'm gonna say I think Frederick March put himself in those roles Put himself in like I think I think he sort of looked for roles like that, mm. particularly when I, when I look at you know when I look at some of the other things that he did and like a lot of his stuff, particularly from stage, which is where he had most, he had a lot of his career. Right, he was a guy who took a lot of uh, he was long he was in the opening cast of Long Day's Journey into Night. Yeah, I mean he took challenging roles. Right, that was you know so I just point that out. Yeah, no no question. About a it. tremendous amount of respect for this actor now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I'm He'll be happy to hear it. Tom. I know he will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, and well, he ought. Yeah, but. I mean, there seems to be so much more to say about this movie, but but it's sort of like there's a movie that came out of I think a year before called Since You Went Away mm-hmm. with um, Claudette Colbert and and mm-hmm. Teresa Wright, mm-hmm. and it's also about two and a half hours, but it handles it in so much of a different sort of like it's an okay movie but it's very classic like the emotional what's mostly at stake in that movie is like that men go away and they may not come back and right. it's like yeah i mean of course that's something to deal with but mm-hmm. so much so like less glory is given to you to make a movie about like what's what, what happens in households and apartments after the war <laughs> right than that prospect and yet they did william wiley did so much more with it yeah 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 Tremendous movie. Fuck. Uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're batting two for two as far as this goes. I give it two VE days <laughs> up. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So we ready to move on? Yeah, I think so. Oh, oh by yeah. the way, no, worth mentioning uh, Best Years of Our Lives, a um, sort of small role by Hoagie Carmichael. Ah, oh, fuck. I love Hoagie Carmichael. He's a good. There's no better Carmichael than a Hoagie Carmichael. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> you know, okay, I was reading some really interesting. Uh, here's an interesting factoid about Hoagie Carmichael. Mm-hmm, Stop mm-hmm. me if I've said this before. Uh, but Ian Fleming physically based James Bond's description on Hoagie Carmichael. I feel like you did because it's not shocking me, but that is a surprising observation <laughs> for sure. Yeah, because Hoagie Carmichael is like the least menacing human being you've ever seen. Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, but uh, always good to see the Hoganator in there doing a little <laughs> jump, uh, a little jump right. on my mind. That's right, brother. Oh, different <laughs> Hoganator. Sorry. <laughs> Bringing it down. Okay. <laughs> All right. So okay. now we turn to this is an interesting one because I don't know how we're going to end up talking about it. Probably less March and more um, Miller, but fuck mm. it. 1951's Death of a Salesman. Death of a Salesman. Now, fuck. 
Lee Jacob had been doing this for years. He was the he well was the for actor. two years. <laughs> well, I, well, I got to say, and, 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 and just have to comment on that too. Yeah, he was a guy who opened the who opened the play in yep. on Broadway and started. And God damn it, would I love to see a version of that? Oh, I have. You have. There's there's a, there is a version of Lee Jacob doing this. There certainly is. Oh shit! From, actually, from much later. Oh, okay. Because um, just because Cobb would be a great character, you know what? Because he's he's, uh, he's got a tough. Guy I guess I'm gonna veneer. fucking show my hand right now. I've seen them both, and I could see how Lee J. Cobb would, might be the better stage version of Willie Loman. Uh-huh. I think March was better. Really? Well, it's almost like March's initial descent into weird man actor. Because all of his movies after this, he's kind of a manic, weirdo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and this must have just set him off. Maybe this movie broke him. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Broke his spirit. Yeah. You know, Death of a Salesman is like, it's uh, every Ugh. time I read it or I see a version of it, mm-hmm. I'm struck by the fact that for about half of it, I'm like, what's the big deal? And then the second half, you're like, fuck! Yeah. Ah! It's, it's such a, so odd. It's such a great... Wonderful, hammy, upsetting, <laughs> great, fabulous, kind of cheesy. Sometimes it just it it gets the whole gamut of it. I don't know. I love it's my favorite play. One, one of the, it is my favorite play. One of the classic things to say about Death of a Salesman is that it's about the American dream. Yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. I mean, I guess, but there's so many other interesting ways to look at what this film is doing mm-hmm. or what the play ultimately made it this film was doing yeah because i mean that we should talk about that too because in some ways it does have the quality of like um who's afraid of virginia wolf in the sense that there was very little effort made to take it outside of its normal stage setting yes right yeah, i mean sure. there's like a few exterior shots maybe 10 mm-hmm. percent of them of each of those films right right but but in any event mostly yeah which you would have seen on the stage right so I mean, it's, that's worth noting because it's like a choice because it's not just that it's a limited space. It's that even though oh, there yeah, were intricate yeah, yeah. scenes... It, they made a movie out of a stage. It tries play. to sort of follow the idea yeah, of like yeah, yeah, yeah. shadow, light, light up, and the boys are in different clothing now. You right. know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, because I mean, it was expressionist. Is sure. expressionism that the, is that the correct? Okay, word? well, sure. Yeah, yeah. So it, the play is initially expressionism, and you're right. They basically took the play and put it in front of a camera. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't take it and turn it into a movie. I would say the the parts that are more interesting in the play itself, which is like the third act, really, is the one where you have all the movement outside, mm-hmm. and you know, and so and so they went with that. Right. They right, followed right. The, the the words. In other yeah. words, they followed followed Mr. Miller's intention. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So if it's not a film necessarily just about the American dream, what is it, right? Everyone knows. It's one of those, I think, films or plays where most people who've never even read it can start to piece together just from hearing about it so often. Right. Right? You hear about Death of a Salesman. You mm-hmm. hear about uh, the, the, this guy who's too old or is a failure. And, and everyone knows about Biff. Right. Biff's almost like part of the lexicon of like mm-hmm. a particular type of person we all know. Right. But beyond that, there's so much more to yeah. this film. Yeah, it, it just yeah, it is, and it's and, and I would say it's it's a, it's can be difficult to sort of quantify or even classify, you know, uh, some of, some of the other things. I mean, you're right; it is it's ultimately it's the American dream, right? That's what everyone says. Uh, but there's other things too about like just being, you know, like what what what's it like to live not in honesty yep. in any way? You know, yeah. a, a life of complete of nearly complete self delusion. Yeah, but not enough self delusion to keep you going. Just the kind of self-delusion that eventually collapses in on itself, and, right? And also the the obviously about regret, but also about um, 
holding in your feelings about somebody. Right. Like resentment. About it's it's a film not just about like smash dreams, but about resentment itself. I'm right. like because it plays hot potato with resentment. Sometimes <laughs> you're not sure who to blame. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And um so there's that. Um the the woman who plays the mother uh, was the opposite of Lee J. Cobb on stage. Oh, oh so she, was. she got picked up. Oh, and, okay, okay. And he did not for whatever reason. I, don't know. I wonder why. Yeah. He had to go. He had to go do uh, Left Hand of God, and then Kevin McCarty, who everyone remembers from Invasion of the Body Snatchers right. later on, mm-hmm. plays Biff, and right. he's fucking outstanding. Originally, that was Arthur Kennedy who did that role, I think. Oh, really? On stage, yeah. Interesting. I would have yeah. rather seen George Kennedy. <laughs> I, I was, honestly, when I said that, I was hoping it was George Kennedy. I got my, my little name confusion Biff, thing you're going huge. for me. <laughs> wow, you're really sweating a lot. <laughs> Oh, just a young, just oh, anyways. Oh, my, <laughs> tremendous! And, and no, no, I think we should follow George Kennedy as Biff. Oh, come on, Pa! <laughs> Quit being a phony. Okay, good. Uh, Lucille. Um, shit, I don't know. I mean, I think it's. Uh, it's I've seen a number of adaptations on it. The Dustin Hoffman adaptation is really good. Like there have been there have uh. been so many versions of Death of a Salesman made. Well, I think it's because of of it, it's a it's a film. It's a, a piece of it's work. It's an actor's film. But it, but it, it, yeah, and here's why. Because the words allow you so many possibilities of how to feel about each person mm-hmm. that I would be tempted by that as an actor to yeah. try to, like, let me put my stamp on right. what this is. You right, know? Right. It's much, I mean, there's, that's always an actor's thing, right? So it's like anyone who does an, a new adaptation of, like, um, The Merchant of Venice has to confront, like, who am I as Shylock? Exactly who I am. And there have been some who... What am I, Shylock? Who've tried to, like, de-anti-Semite it. Uh-huh. Right? And it's like, that's interesting, too. So, right, right, but, right. but this is even more ripe. Yeah. Yeah. For that, I would say. Yeah. Because well, the... the ugh, you know, I'm not going to use that phrase again. But, it, but, the, but the actors are essentially a blank, a blank slate. Yeah, you're right about that. That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. Hey. So, yeah, fuck. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. And, and Frederick March chews the fuck out of the scenery here. And just is, he's just, yeah, he's fucking glorious. Man. Tom, I've always loved that phrase. Choose the scenery. Choose the scenery. I've always known what it meant. It is a phrase, dude. No, no, I'm making fun of myself. So oh, okay. Listeners can go back to like uh, oh, yeah, episode yeah, yeah, yeah. two. I'm like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, th- I think at times, I, if I have any criticism there, it's like, <sighs> Every once in a while, it's a little too. Maybe I'm just I'm thinking of Matthew Harrison Brady too much, but I'm just like, yeah, dial it back a little bit, Mister March, on the, like the crazy <laughs> scenes, you know. It's a little, yeah, yeah it's a little much. But I think the only thing about this movie that didn't work with me is that was kind of the the end that end scene, the very mm-hmm. last scene of it. It's, I've seen it portrayed many times. It was kind of kind of nah, kind of meh on this one. Yeah, it's like, um, I mean, it was a beautiful black and white, and yet here they they tried to take advantage of some sort of crude special effects (laughs) to make it happen. I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, so there's the ending, which is hard to, which would be hard to pull off in most cases anyways. It just, eh, it was kind of mad. But other than that, I mean, Frederick March rocked the fuck out of this thing. God, Mm -hmm. like I said, I have a tremendous respect for him now. Yeah, it's interesting. So, like, I'm thinking of a film like um, 1956, uh, Sizz. 1984 with Edmund O'Brien. Uh-huh. So here, like that, comes out about the same time as a book rather than a play as um, Death of a Salesman. Salesman. And yet there was oh, it was man. terrible. It was and it's Edmund O'Brien. Like yeah. there's no reason it should have been bad, but it was just so like oh you can't. And so like I've never w- seen it. What makes that so impossible and this 
apparently possible. Like, th- right. That's that says something about the play that you could adapt it that early. Mm-hmm. Huh. No, no, fucking magical. Let's fucking a. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug, Tony? Um, yeah, I mean, check me out, TomSmithComedy.com. Got a little website action there, um, and that's pretty much it for me, I guess. Join us on Patreon, why not? And hey, drop us a line on, uh, uh, drop us an email at uh, Finleysonfilm at, uh, at gmail.com. Are you a little drunk, Tom? Yeah, 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 a couple of beers, a couple of beers.